Hey, it's the Key Podcast. We had to get an emergency pod in. Brian Marcolini, Joe on the other line, because we we got some news. Joe, what's going on? Hey, Brian, what's up? So obviously, it was it was a nice week. Ten wins. Virginia Tech football ends on ten wins. Virginia Tech basketball beats Duke, but we get a little bit more news, and it's a couple departures: Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford, and then Gerard Evans, the surprise of the group. Were you surprised by any of their moves? Uh, I thought that Hodges was definitely going to be going to the draft. I think last year he, you know, last year he was thinking about it, and then he came back. I'm pretty sure he got his degree. I think that was the the news that he wrapped up his his college, and um, yeah, he's ready to go to the NFL. So I thought I thought last year when we had him for one more year. I mean, he's uh, he's going to crush it at the combine. He's just one of those freak players. I don't know if he'll be a good NFL player. I think it's a toss up as to how he continues to develop. But no one, you know, everyone at the combine is going to notice the six foot twelve dude who, yeah. you know, can jump really high. Do you and, think he's a? Do you think he's a receiver or a tight end? Because I was pretty convinced that if I, like, if I was Justin Fuente and I was trying to get him back for one more year, I would have sit him down and said, "Look, man, you're going to play a Mike, you're going to play a Mike Evans role as as the freak outside and to go get some jump balls and play basically wide receiver." We've seen like. Devin Funches from Michigan. He's now a wide receiver from the for the Panthers. He used to play tight end at Michigan. Do you think he's a receiver? I don't know. I don't even know what the distinguish the distinguishing factor of that. The paycheck. Between tight, yeah, a paycheck. That's a really good point. I just think the line's been blurred so much. I mean, this year he was essentially a wide receiver, you know, for us anyways. There was very little true tight end as far as blocking. Like Leffler, in Leffler's offense, Bucky blocked a lot more than he did for Fuente. Fuente had him blocking outside more, but didn't have him blocking inside as part of the run game as much. So for all intents and purposes, and I think the beat guys, uh, the traditional beat guys kind of hammered that home. Every time when there was a award given out for a tight end consideration, they made sure to like tag it with an asterisk and say, no, no, he's a wide receiver this year. Which... Second team, all ACC tight end. Yeah, but no, he's really a wide receiver. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think Tech actually on their official depth chart listed him as a wide receiver. Like, if you look into the stats per game, but on the roster, he's listed as a tight end. Yeah. But the overall point being, I think the game, football as a whole, is moving into this blurred, you know, kind of line where, yeah, tight ends are, you know, I don't watch as much NFL anymore as I as I do college. But definitely right. in college, like, these guys are, you're getting these, these super, super athletic guys that are playing tight end, H-back you know, sometimes lining them up in the backfield, wildcat guys. I mean, they're the, 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 the traditional position are just being blurred so much. I think he would have to be, I, I think his, his future in the NFL probably is at tight end. I would say, really? no, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. It really depends on how a team is going to use him. Like if he gets drafted in new England or something like that, then, you know, he, they have like a, you know, they're kind of hybrid role, you know, right now where they just have like a freak at tight end. You know what I mean? I don't right. see. I don't. I, I don't think he'll be like a team's number one receiver by any means right now. He could develop into that, but I don't think he's polished enough to be the number one threat on on an NFL roster right now. I mean, maybe tight end is a good way to get him on the field early and to get him, you know, warmed up to you know life in the NFL, and then maybe he works, you know, kind of works away from the ball as his career progresses to the outside position. I don't think either of us should have been particularly surprised about Isaiah DeClaren, considering he's been the best player on the team since, what, his freshman year? 
yeah, he's been just a, a mainstay on the offense. That was like the I was I had said at the beginning of the year, you know, over and over again, you know, enjoy Isaiah Ford this year because he's gone. And I just didn't think he had any more to gain being in college. And that's kind of the same thing with Bucky. Like, what is Isaiah Ford broke every record, receiving record Virginia Tech has. Bucky can't get any more taller, can't get any more athletic. You know, they just made sense to go. Like, even the only thing with Ford is he hasn't gotten his degree yet, I believe. And he's, you know, in his thank you note to Hokie Nation, he, you know, he said he would eventually come back and do that. But it's just like, if you can get an NFL paycheck, then. Go get your NFL paycheck. I think all of us in college, if we could have left college a year early to go play, you know, to go do anything. For, to, go, to go make a couple million dollars. Yeah, even if you're making basic rookie salary, that's a better, it's a guaranteed right. job. Um, you know, you get a bunch of side perks along with that, most notably being an NFL player. Um, so it just makes sense. I mean, you could always go back and get your degree in college. I mean, look at Kevin Jones. Kevin Jones, I don't know if he had his undergrad degree when he left. But he left. He was a first-round pick, got a bunch of money, played a few years in the NFL. Now he's back, you know, in Blacksburg, and he's got a bunch of degrees. So, I mean, it's possible to go back and do that and to continue your education at any point. You can't, you know, always if, – if Isaiah were to come back and get injured, you know, that would be terrible because his game isn't – I think his game is kind of almost – I don't know what his game is predicated on. His game is – he's just very, like, steady Eddie. Like, you know that guy – he doesn't, in my mind, he doesn't do one thing super, super well, other than he's super, super consistent. To me, he's a he's a perfect number two. He's a perfect yeah. guy to, you know, he's going to catch that, you know, the eight yard in on second and eight. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just super reliable. I think that's his consistency and his reliability and also his hand control and him, the way he gets separation is very impressive. Like without having top end speed, he's just very just a technical receiver that I, you know, watching him play and just some of the catches he's made throughout his time at Virginia Tech have just been like so amazing. Like the, you know, the one at Pittsburgh he made where he was like falling down and still had the body control and awareness to, to fight off a defender and bring, and bring in a catch, like just stuff like that. The one he, I mean, even the little practice video he posted where he did the backflip and he, you know, caught the ball. I mean, that's just, he's just very, he, he has a great set of hands and, uh, you know, a great technical receiver. I think it's interesting when you when you break down because there there are two types of guys when they declare that either a fan base totally gets it, they totally like. So Isaiah declared. I don't think anyone was surprised, and I don't think a single person, maybe a Twitter egg or two, but I don't think any one of of value was angry because you get it. You 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 can't ask the star receiver again to to go over the middle and, and particularly or and possibly have his head taken off by a linebacker in the ACC before he even gets to the NFL. Like you just can't do it. Yeah, yeah. like it's just it just it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, he, he, it made plenty of sense to me. I knew at the end of the beginning of this year, like it just was like I think it just comes down to like what do you have to gain from being in college? And neither of those guys. In my opinion, they've accomplished. They did everything on the field that they could possibly do throughout their careers at Virginia Tech. Yes, they both like Bucky could have got better, you know, more technically, but he's going to the NFL now. And I mean, that's you know, there is a difference. Not that Justin Fuente and his staff aren't great coaches, but there is a difference between the quality of NFL coaching versus the quality of college coaching. And a lot of that just comes to the NFL is a business, and there are more coaches to work 
you know, with players. And on the other hand, like Bucky no longer has school in the way. So he can yeah. focus 24 seven or whatever his, you know, NFL work hours are on becoming a better receiver. Like he doesn't have to go to, you know, a psych class or something like that instead of working on like body control and, and route running and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just, it, you know, that's going to be that guy's career. So, I mean, it's like, if you could, you know, he has his degree in hand and he's, he's moving on. Like what else, what else is there to do in Blacksburg? And he doesn't, the other the other kind of guy when they declare is is the one that takes fans totally by surprise and there's a little bit of backlash and the third guy we haven't talked about yet that's Gerard Evans and I think that was the kind of reaction from fans everywhere. I'm not even sure a little bit of backlash applies here. I don't think anyone wished him ill will, but I think every resp- I think Hokies and I think the national media were equally as perplexed and confused that Gerard is going to the NFL. I'm confused about it. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily get it. I think, I think a lot of people feel, I think a lot of fans feel entitled to tell, just to say like, Oh, you should come back. Like it's in your best interest to come back. And it's like, yeah, it, it might be. And I, I feel like he could have benefited from another year in Fuente system, just given, just given the fact that he has been off of the national radar. Like he, Mm -hmm. He had such a great season statistically and he was just because I think he was a new face in the conference and he was a transfer and no one had heard his name before. He didn't really have an opportunity to make his mark. I mean, the he was on the national stage, like I would say four times this year, like the battle of Bristol where he didn't have a great game. The whole team had a bad game. I guess that North Carolina was somewhat of a national game and, you know, he couldn't throw the ball at all because it was in a hurricane. Although, we should disregard, you know, the weather aspect totally <laughs> because North Carolina did. Um, yeah, I guess Fuente, going back to that, if Fuente was smart enough not to throw the ball in that game. Right, right. And then the two, the Thursday night games in the bowl game. And, I mean, he had some great throws against, you know, Miami, Pittsburgh, and Arkansas. I mean, he led comebacks and, you know, definitely loved the comeback against Arkansas. He definitely, you know, went back and forth against Pittsburgh and he put Miami away pretty early. But, I mean, one thing that, that I I think two factors, maybe three things that factored in are one, he's twenty he's gonna be twenty three years old on the day he has to declare by. I think his birthday is January sixteenth, whatever the NFL day is. So that's pretty old to be a college quarterback. I mean, you could just not want to be in school anymore at that point. Like I knew I was ready to be done with college. Not be done with it, but like you're going to school your entire life. I was, you know, had the itch to get into the professional world when I was like 20 and 19. He's 23. Right. So, you know, he might just want to move on with his life, number one. Uh, number two, I mean, he, I don't think people realize that he was our leading rusher this year. He was Virginia Tech's leading rusher. So that's, you know, he took a, he took a pounding this year. So, you know, you combine those two things and then, you know, being on the team, you're losing your top two weapons. You're losing some offensive linemen. You know, the pieces start to add up. And, I mean, he told uh, David Teal wrote a pretty uh, an interesting little column where Teal had him one-on-one after the Belk Bowl win or maybe it was before the Belk Bowl win. And, you know, he was he mentioned about the rushing stats. And, uh, you know, Gerard said, I came here to throw the football, not run the football. So, you know, like he might not want to be – you know, he might just not want to take the pounding he, he is taking. Like he might want to progress as a passer – and Virginia Tech needed him to run the football this year. I think that was, you know, that was a big thing. I think our, I think people are overlooking is like his athleticism masked the deficiencies that Tech had running the ball, 
you know, with its with its running backs. Like the running game outside of Gerard was, you know, mostly terrible this year. And he just made it that much better with his with his running ability and his uh his scrambling. Not not as much as improvisation and scrambling, but a lot more him on the on the read plays. He he did very well with that. He ran the ball eighteen times or more in half of Tech's games. Well, excuse me, in seven of their games. Um so I am never one to tell someone to not go get their money for one, but here is the the reasoning I would think that Gerard had. One, it's a weak quarterback class, and outside of the top one or two, Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson, uh, maybe Brad, maybe Brad Kaya, but the middle is kind of open, and you just saw a couple of project quarterbacks go in a row. Uh, Logan Thomas was one. Cardale Jones, another one. And when you look around and you see, and you're Gerard, and you see your big-time weapons go, you, you see Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, your two most dangerous weapons leave, things could get worse. And so this could be an example of where a small sample size actually benefits him more than, it, more than anything else because we have one year of tape on him in in a Power 5 conference, and he did pretty well. And so maybe this is the ceiling of his draft stock right now. Like, I I, I was surprised at the initial announcement, but the more I've thought about it, I get it. I really do. Yeah, I, I think in, you know, I think, too, one thing that's interesting is I think everyone's, like, enamored with Dak Prescott right now. Right, right. The league is going to try to find the next Dak Prescott, and you look at Gerard's film, and it looks... You know, I don't know how their arm strengths compare, and I don't, you know, Dak won, you know, 10 games in the SEC, I think, his senior year. He has much more college experience. But, like, NFL GMs love drawing, like, comparisons and trying to find, like, the next, yep. you know, so-and-so to play in the league. And I think Gerard has the skill. I don't think he's I don't think he's there by any means, but I think he, you know, it really just takes one team to fall in love with a player and you get drafted. You know, right. it just takes one of the 32. And quarterbacking has just been so terrible in the NFL. There's like a legit, maybe six franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. If you count Eli Manning and all the other teams are really, you know, you know, they have someone who's suitable. They either have dumped their quarterback or, you know, switching quarterbacks. There's, you know, there's, there's not enough QBs to go around. So it's a quarterback's league. And I think teams are, you know, not afraid to cycle in and out quarterbacks is uh, a lot faster than they're used to. And I, and I almost wonder, to your point um, about both of the top receivers leaving, I wonder if that's a referendum on what he perhaps, and this is really speculating in tinfoil hat, but it's a referendum on what he thinks is coming back because yeah. you know, now Virginia Tech is faced with replacing Ford um, and Bucky. And, uh, you know, Justin Fuente has had, you know, about a year to recruit, and he definitely made that a mark, you know, last cycle, whereas I don't think tech signed a receiver the cycle before i think that was the one they didn't sign a receiver and then we had to sign like four last year and we're signing like six or so potential receivers this year so yeah i wonder i wonder if him if evans being at practice you know hasn't seen that receiver like the next crop of them you know take the next step because really aside from henry murphy i want to say henry murphy played some cj carroll you know played some cam obviously played some but uh you know 
Diablo didn't really, I don't, you know, I don't remember Diablo making a, a big mark. Denmark, I think, redshirted. Kuma redshirted. Um, and then, you know, Chris Cunningham at tight end, just, you know, whenever he was in the game, it was just basically in the red zone, he was scoring touchdowns. But, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if Evans took kind of a look at, you know, what was left in the cupboard, and maybe that's something that, that, that we should. Uh, yeah, yeah, to, to your point, Cam Phillips is coming back. He had 76 catches for 983 yards and five scores. Amazing season for Cam. C.J. Carroll coming back, 18 catches for two. That's a sneaky 18. I thought he had more. Chris Cunningham, six catches. Henry Murphy, three catches. Jalen Bradshaw, three catches. Uh, Divine Diablo, one catch. So how many, how many of Cunningham's catches were for touchdowns? That would be four. Yeah, that's six catches, four scores. That's actually pretty incredible. That's 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 a, a Jerome Bettis line. Yes. So, I I do wonder if it's a bit of a referendum, like you said, but I just I I think it really might just be pure confidence, and and you see this sometimes, and it, it often backfires on draft prospects, but. Sometimes these guys are so confident that they just look around and they look at their competition and they go, F it, man. I'm better than those guys. Like, yeah. it, like if you're Gerard, seriously, and, and you sit down, you're like, all right, so who are the best quarterbacks coming out in this class? Well, Deshaun Watson played him, played him almost to like, I We almost beat him. Deshaun Kaiser beat him. Brad Kaya beat him. Mitch Trubisky beat him. I mean... It, it's not it's not a big leap for Gerard to think that he's better than all of those guys. Now, is he? I probably not in terms of an NFL quarterback, but again, it's I, I get where he's coming from because he beat all those guys. He played better than all of those guys when they played outside of maybe outside of Deshaun Watson when they played in the ACC title game. Yeah, I think he definitely is a kid who projects a ton of confidence. I think that's and I, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he got drafted in the middle rounds either, Cardell Jones style, because right, because yeah. there's enough there to like the 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 size six three two thirty eight. He's taller and heavier than Dak, and he's got he's got a cannon. They, there there's enough there for a GM to talk himself into in the fourth round, fifth round. Yeah, just I think the big thing is I'm not I don't even really know where his arm strength lies because we never push the ball down the field right with him. So it it's. I'm still a little bit skeptical on his total arm strength. It'll be interesting to see what NFL throws he makes, can make at the combine, and if they have him throwing, or if he decides to throw, or if he even gets invited to the combine. But he, uh, I mean, he's he could definitely. I mean, he's thrown some balls like 50, 60 yards in the air. I mean, he's floated a few of those those ones. But I mean, we, you know, Fuente just didn't have him. You know, it was basically single read. You know, just read a, you know, you know, read one route and then you know bail on it. So, I mean, that got Paxton Lynch a first round pick, yeah, right? It, it so, did. it did. It, it did. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. It's, it was, I'm still, you know, I, I, I think I've convinced myself of to understanding why. And, and I don't think anyone will, you know, know why. It's his decision. I mean, he could basically, to your point, I, I wrote this, you know, when it first happened, he could just think he is good enough to get drafted right now. And really, that's all that should be good enough for everyone. Right. Like, if he thinks it, you know, go for it, man. I hope, I hope you make it. So that's three guys who have officially declared in Isaiah, Bucky, and Gerard Evans. Um, Brandon Faison still may declare. We've heard kind of 
uh, whispers about that. So that w- if if he does that, that's four guys who all leave a year of eligibility on the table to go to the NFL. Yep. Positive? Is it a positive because Fuente can kind of show recruits, hey, we're, we're, we're actually we're sending guys to the league now. With Virginia Tech, it's a place you can go to move on to the next level. Or is it such a negative in the short term, especially at both quarterback and receiver, that it kind of outweighs the positives? Uh, it'll be a positive if they, you know, if if Evans goes to the draft and he goes undrafted and doesn't get a combine invite, then that's not going to look good. You know, because Fuente's, you know, kind of pitch is like, hey, I'm a quarterback guru. I developed, you know, Paxton Lynch, uh, you know, the, the, the kid from TCU. Dalton. Yeah, Andy Dalton. Um, you know, that's kind of his, you know, pitch to recruits right now. Uh, so, you know, if Evans kind of falls flat on his face and that doesn't work well, I think overall you want to be a, a program that is stable enough to take in talent and lose talent every year. So I don't know right now looking at Virginia Tech's incoming, you know, class. Is there anyone as talented as an Isaiah Ford or a Bucky Hodges on offense? Maybe. Uh, I think this uh, uh, Drake, I'm going to butcher his last name. We've interviewed him, but Drake uh, Delusis, uh, the tight end, is really right. uh, could be a could be a really good uh, player in Fuente's scheme because he kind of has that flexibility. Uh, Dalton Keene is another one, another tight end athlete uh, player that you know TKP has interviewed, and I think he could be you know a, a very versatile you know type of player that fits really well in Fuente's offense. I mean, Fuente's offense is so predicated on on mismatches and moving you know pieces around that these kind of hybrid guys I think can really thrive. But, uh, you know, I, I think it, I, I don't know if any, I, there's no five star stud coming in. And I would say, you know, players like Bucky and Isaiah, they might have been like Bucky was a four star quarterback and Isaiah was a three to four star receiver, depending on how you look at. But by the time they left, you know, they were, I think they were, com- they're comparable to very high four star players. And we don't have any of those on paper coming, coming in in this next class. I do think. Tech has a chance to get there, but they're not. I, I I don't think we're bringing in the sure things that we're losing. The yeah, I I, I think not regularly uh, Clemson does and Ohio State does. It, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be a problem next year specifically. In the short term, Josh Jackson is it's probably gonna be the quarterback, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Throwing to a bunch of untested receivers—that's not the—that's uh, not the ideal situation that we wanted. But for the last what four years or so, Tech didn't send a lot of guys to the league, and I—I yeah. I think that this is not a bad thing because no. you can. I don't even know honestly if if Drod Evans somehow, and I—I I think this would be—I think this would be crazy. But if he got stiffed a combine invite, I really don't think it matters because what like. For instance, one of the things I thought was fascinating about Les Miles is that recruits and people at L- when he was at LSU loved him because he let them have the power to to choose, right? He would sit down with every single player who was dra- draft eligible, and they had a record number of guys go. And so it kind of falls back on on the younger guys and the younger recruiting classes that he's not going to be someone who peer pressures you to stay, and some and all not all of LSU's 
guys went drafted. Not not all of them made the combine, and it didn't really negatively impact them at all. And I think it's not that big of a deal about what happens to them after they leave necessarily. It's just that, especially in the immediate future, Fuente can look at recruits next year and the year after and just say, look, we, we got guys to the pros. Yeah, I think we have to just recruit. I mean, I think the difference is LSU recruits at an LSU level. Virginia Tech needs to get better at recruiting, and they are. I mean, the recruiting has definitely, you know, it, it really goes, it's a bigger, it, it was a bigger issue. I think under the waning, you know, Beamer years, Virginia Tech's brand got very, very stale. Yeah, yeah. And now the new, the new Fuente regime and the guys, the support staff are really working hard to make Virginia Tech kind of a, um, a hype brand, an it, an it brand, a brand you can get excited about playing for. Even something as as simple as uh, you know Nathan Proctor, the the linebacker, the the top player in Tech's class, committed four star linebacker, defensive end. Mm-hmm. He'll be a defensive end most likely, but um, you know he committed at the Under Armour All America game. You know I can count. You know I think Kendall Fuller was one that did that, and I think Tim Settle did that, and Dwayne Lawson did that. So you know those aren't big things that have happened for you know, for tech recently, we want to get like one of those, two of those, three of those happening every year where, you know, you turn on an all American game and you have, you know, an ES, you know, on ESPN an ESPN commentator, you know, saying Virginia tech just won 10 games this year. And now a four-star recruit just committed to, to that school. I mean, that is awesome for the university. So, I mean, it's just, you know, getting back to that point where you're bringing in more talent and it's, it's very much a, you know, a cycle where it just, you know, you either keep getting better and better and better, or you get worse and worse and worse. Like it feeds into itself, both, both positive and negative. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I think I, I disagree with, with if Evans flops in the NFL, I don't think it's, it might not necessarily be a bad thing, but it's not going to be a great look. I don't think it'd be a great thing for the university. If I know if I was an opposing coach, I would be like, well, you know, this coach, you know, this, this Fuente guy let his, you know, star quarterback leave a year early. He didn't do enough to keep him in school, and he went out, and he lost out on an NFL paycheck. And that's probably all BS. Like, it's all made up. I mean, recruiting must be great because you can just lie all the time. But, uh, you know, that's that's what I would say. I mean, if you want a negative recruit, I mean, that's what you're going to do. So, yeah, that's my Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's hard to say now. It's it's hard to guess how this will impact tech on the recruiting trail at all because, I mean, yeah, they they were they've signed what two four star guys this this year so far. Well, not they have they have two or committed. They have maybe like three committed. They have one uh, Silas Zanzi committed last cycle, who's an offensive tackle, and he went a prep year and he's rated a four star prep player. And then Proctor's a true four star across the board, and then Taj Capehart's a wide receiver slash cornerback who's a four-star by some services and a three-star by other. Um, yeah, they have a few. It, the class is actually – this class is actually shaping up really well. I think this is one of these classes that, like, Frank Beamer would recruit, like, in the mid-2000s, where there's just a lot of athletic guys who have a ton of upside that aren't, you know – it's not a, a, a diamond in the rough. It's like a diamond where it's, like – you know, 80% polished and they get, they kind of have the athleticism to become very good players that win a conference championship. Um, I don't know if it's the talent level is good enough to compete for a national championship, but now if you win your conference championship, unless you're, 
you know, Penn State, you kind of normally get a chance to play for the national championship. So that's a pretty, you know, you're getting pretty close at that level. So I, I think this recruiting class is coming together pretty nice for, for the staff. And I mean, it's only, it's really Fuente's first class. So, mm-hmm. you know, the big recruiting pitches, I mean, you alluded to Josh Jackson being, you know, the quarterback, the, the kid coming in, Hendon Hooker, um, you know, Fuente offered him, you know, I think he's going to be the one to play. I mean, so it sounds like, according to some reports, that uh, he was supposed to enroll in May and now or over over the summer after spring practice. I don't know if it was in May or June, what summer session it was. Uh, but now it sounds like they're going to get him enrolled in, in, in for spring semester, which is huge. So they went from having one scholarship QB on the roster, Jackson, uh, to having both Hooker and Jackson to battle it out. And, I mean, I think Hooker is going to be the, the QB of the future just because he has a little bit more of the running game. Um, but we can – yeah, I know. I know you're. You sound like a pretty strong Jackson supporter, so I'm not sure about where you land on that. I I don't. I don't know. I I I I really don't know. I think the prospect of having a slightly undertouted true freshman start week one is is terrifying. But I mean, who are we to argue? You know, Josh Jackson isn't Fuente's guy. He. He doesn't have a lot to choose from now that Evans left. I, I I have no idea, and I and he's left me especially with the success he had with Evans in this offense this year. He hasn't left me with a lot of room to disagree. So I, I guess whoever wins is going to be the best option. But just the prospect of having a true freshman, no matter if he had a spring or not, because the spring's all well and good, but it, it's different when when there's when there's a live team in front of you that's not the Virginia Tech defense or the Virginia Tech scout defense. And so I, I just, that that's a, a scary proposition. And that's why the Evans, Evans decision was so devastating because all of a sudden there's a, just a crater on offense. Yeah. I mean, I think the spring is nice because they get the competition in, like they're going to be competing, which, you know, I think having a QB competition really actually pushed Evans and Motley and even Jackson like, I, I think that was a really smart move by Fuente. I don't think either any of these guys are going to be awarded. I definitely think Hooker is the guy that, you know, the kid that Fuente has, you know, had sought out. I mean, he got out. Fuente was hired in December or whenever it was, November. They, this kid visited and they offered, you know, immediately after. And they got him to commit like a month or six weeks later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he got, all, I think he got a tennis, I think he took a Tennessee offer. He got an Oregon offer. Uh, so this kid could play offense. He can, he can, and his, he lit it up in North Carolina football. Like he dominated. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if his team lost the game, but they cried. He had amazing stats in the state championship game. His highlights are extremely good. He, he looks like a player that can fit into Fuente's offense. Um, I just think having the level of competition in the spring and having these two kids, that's not a, not to say that Jackson didn't impress people, you know, last year. I mean, I think, I don't think Fuente is like, a bullshit guy like I think he's very much like Bud Foster in the sense where he says something and he's not BSing you right I think the difference between him and Foster is he doesn't say anything but when he does it matters where Bud you know at media it will divulge a ton of information from scheme to personnel just just talking about it like it's not a big deal to keep too much in-house to him where Fuente doesn't say much about the program at all um, but I think having the competition is good and one thing is, it's actually really exciting. Like, it's it's kind of fun to not know as a as a as a fan and as a, someone who covers the team. It's kind of not. It's kind of fun to not know what is going to happen right now. Like, no one knows. 
you know, uh, Click could end up winning the quarterback job. You, just, you really, you really don't know with with Fuente, especially. I think he, and that's good. I mean, I think with Beamer, we knew what the line of succession was. We knew that, you know, this senior would step in for this, you know, departing senior, and this junior would step in for the departing senior. But now there's there's open competition, and even though it personally drove me up a wall with, you know, Wyatt Teller when Teller was benched. Um, you know, he Fuente, Fuente wants you know his kids to practice hard and to play hard and to do things a certain way, and you know, and there's some short term you know shortcomings to that, but at the end of the day, you're building a culture, and I think that's what he is doing right now. He's building a culture, and you know, I think the net positive of this might be that we're accelerating that culture growth you know, a lot sooner, like maybe a year sooner, even though he's been here, like he had all Frank's players last year, mostly other than Evans. Uh, now this year he's, you know, we're going to lose Ford and Ford and Hodges sooner or later. And Evans only had one more year. So now right. it's like really the Fuente, you know, now we're really in the Fuente era. So we're going to see, you know, what he can do, you know, as a coach and as a, his big strength, aside from X's and O's is player development and quarterback development and and we're going to see how, how true that is. And it's just going to be an exciting, I think it's going to be a really exciting offseason. One thing to remember, too, if, if you do your do your research on Fuente's time at Memphis, there the big story about him early on was he took, uh, he took a redshirt freshman who ended up being Paxton Lynch, and he started him over the popular incoming senior because he just knew that that guy was, was the they best player to go. Right. And so... It, it was not it was not a popular move but he nope. believed in Lynch and that was and obviously it worked out and so he just kind of, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt if if oh, Hooker's he the guy he's the guy he definitely has the benefit of the doubt do you he think they're do you think they're looking for anyone else the the Malika Zaire rumor was out there for a little while obviously that's been squashed as of this recording um are they? Do you think they look for anyone, or just go in with their their two guys? No, I think you got to have three. Like even if the person they bring in doesn't play, right. you just have to have options. I mean, I think with this offense, also the leagues I hear rumor like that got out of control, really, really quickly. You know, it started from the Twitter fact follows. That, yeah, Twitter follows, and it's like okay, you know, I can follow, you know, I don't know, pick an attractive female celebrity. I can follow her. And that doesn't mean we're dating because I followed her. Like I was looking at Zaire, the people he was following back, and he didn't follow back Fuente, you know, or or Geary at the time. And I right, right. That's up until today. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, there could be plenty of one way interest, but it has to go both ways. And yeah, so then the that the Notre there was a Notre Dame like insider who kind of debunked that. But yeah, I definitely think they're looking to bring someone in. I think it would be silly not to. I mean, even if that person doesn't play you just have to have I think you I think you really want to have at least three scholarship QBs on the roster, you know, at all times. And and this really is, you know, again, I'm not trying to throw Frank under the bus, but you're just feeling the effects of like what happened at the end of the Beamer era. Oh, totally. Like, there there just wasn't, you know, the depth chart wasn't properly built. You know, we're you know, there's low numbers you know, again, on the offensive line, there's going to be low numbers, especially facing leaves in the secondary and the corners. And so, you know, I think they're really trying to rebuild this thing, you know, rebuild a full, you know, 85 man scholarship roster where all 85 players, you know, could actually play. And you're not counting on, you know, you know, some players that 
aren't division, you know, aren't ACC caliber players. And I think, you know, I didn't, there weren't too many players processed, you know, Alabama process where they just kind of were given the boot because I think they were close to graduating and it just right. would have been a bad, kind of a bad look. But, um, yeah, I, I think Fuente is going to build a, a very solid roster. It just takes some damn time to do it. Like, you're not going to turn over an entire roster overnight. I think winning 10 games this year just gave the program such an awesome, like, kick in the ass and jump start into into doing that they can you know he can really sell what he's doing now he could say like hey i didn't have any of my players and you know i had a quarterback throw for all these yards i had receivers do all this um you know we won 10 games we got to the acc championship game come come play with me and i will get you you know times back into the nfl i will put you into the nfl and you'll win a lot of damn games in the process yeah i i think it's funny to, to look back on it because those those last Frank years I mean it's obvious they were just they were such a dumpster fire I mean I I went to the, I was at the wake game I it's something I will remember for the rest of my life um but it, it is kind of funny that this so this team wins 10 10 games they had a probably a little bit more talent on the roster when Fuente took it over than he was initially given credit for and almost all of that was a direct correlation to Scott Leffler being the offensive coordinator and when he came in to sign some of his guys. And so in a way, the reason Fuente was set up to succeed so well is because Scott brought in some, some solid dudes. Isn't it? It's just, it's just kind of funny the way it works out. Cause obviously no one likes Scott Leffler around, around Blacksburg parts, but without Bucky making the switch from quarterback to receiver without signing Isaiah Ford, without, without having Trayvon make the switch from quarterback to running back, getting Josh Nyman, getting uh, uh, Wyatt Teller. I mean, that's that's a lot of where they were successful on offense this year. There was one class where they got, like, all those guys in. Like, where they, I think, like, Phillips, I can't remember if it was 2014, but, like, Phillips, uh, Phillips, Ford, McKenzie, and Trayvon might have been in the next class. But they definitely signed some kids who could play out of their class, but then they signed a bunch of kids who, you know, are not that you're just like, okay, why is this, you know, this is kind of just like a very dicey, you know, offer. So it'll be interesting to see how some of, how some of the other, you know, kind of lower, uh, lower offers, you know, pan out, uh, pan out for the Hokies. But yeah, they definitely like, they definitely, I think it would have been the first year Moorhead was here. That first year, like there was some energy and like they, you know, they signed, you know, Ford and Phillips and, you know, they moved Hodges over. I don't know if I give them, like, I think Bud Foster deserves a lot of credit for, for Wyatt Teller and even McMillan because they were Nova, you know, Nova prospects. Right. But yeah, I mean, getting Ford was just a huge, huge coup. Get him to flip from, you know, Louisville. He kind of fell fell into Tech's lap with, uh, with Charlie Strong going to Texas and all that. So um, even Chris Cunningham, another, you know, another nice – another nice signee that kind of was a little bit under the radar. So, yeah, I mean, Leffler, the, the last, the last coach is definitely, I would say they did a great job of fielding a first team. Right. They didn't right. do a good job of fielding a second and third team. You know what I mean? So we have tech has had plenty of good starters, but they did not have the depth to compete at, you know, at that, they didn't have the depth and they were missing some of the high end guys to, to, to beat Clemson essentially. So we're we're running we're running a little bit um, long here. So I, I'm going to ask you one more question, and it's I don't want to end on a negative note, but I think it's the most obvious question moving forward: Is Virginia Tech 
set up the football team? Are they set up to have a step back next year with with all of the departures, with now a new quarterback having to be broken in? Is is next year going to be maybe a a bit of a step back to the seven, possibly six win territory we saw earlier? Uh, yes, I would yeah. say I wouldn't be surprised if they won 10 games next year. That would not surprise me. But if you're talking about what are realistic expectations for the football team next year, uh, give me six to eight wins. I'm going to pull up the schedule right now, but off the top of my head, you have a road trip to Clemson. You have West Virginia as a neutral site game, who's coming off a pretty good season. Okay, so it's... It's not that bad, the schedule, because you have West Virginia, they're they're okay. I would say that's about a 50-50 game. Delaware, ECU, ODU, in theory, all should be wins. Your home ACC slate, Duke, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Clemson is in Blacksburg. And then the away ACC slate. Yeah, yeah, so buy your tickets now. Uh, The away ACC slate, Georgia Tech, Miami, UVA, BC. That's, That's eight wins. Well, I think the thing that, first of all, I can't believe I forgot that. I thought I had those the years flip flopped in my brain about Clemson because yeah, I had that. I think I already have that game on my calendar as as one of the games I'll be going to next year. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that benefits Tech is like the entire ACC Coastal, you know, lost like either their quarterback or like three of their star players. So yeah, I mean, they could get four. It could just be. A, you know, again, a, a crap. It probably is going to be a crapshoot in terms of, you know, how many wins they get. I would say. Do I think, on paper, regardless of the wins, the 2016 club is better on paper than the 2017? Yes. Like I think there's less talent that I know about, and and that's the tricky thing. Is like, there's a lot. Like I don't know who the next Isaiah Ford is. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like if we don't know that yet, that's an unknown. So if I'm gauging that right now, like I would say six to eight wins is a fair, you know, shake of things. I would not be surprised by any means if they won 11 games. That would not shock me at all, given how much, you know, you made a really good point that the schedule probably is a lot easier than I was giving it credit for just due to the fact of other players, you know, leaving the Coastal. The Coastal is going to be the Coastal yet again. And, yeah. and, and it's been up for grabs basically since the formation of, of the conference. And so they're just not going to be, they're not going to be as, as good. And I think in 2017, if they're down 20 again, that's not a, that's not a comeback anymore. If, if they're down 17, they're probably going to stay down 17, but I still think eight wins could still be attainable as it stands now. I mean, now I'm talking myself into this team being good future, <laughs> which is like terrible that that I'm doing, considering they just lost probably their three best offensive players. But I mean, if you, if, if Tech really gets by that West Virginia game, then like what you said, Delaware, East Carolina, Old Dominion, they really have three games to kind of get their kinks worked out before they hit the ACC schedule. Right, and they could, you know, Fuente's a damn good coach. I mean, you give him. You know, an entire spring, you know, the four to five weeks over August, and then you give him four weeks in September to get his team together. I mean, that th- th- this year the team was infinitely better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season. I mean, they would never have, you know, if you put them, I mean, look at the Tennessee game, how quickly they got down and they had a lead. I mean, you put them, you know, they didn't, if they were down 28 points to Arkansas in October, they were not going to win that game. Like, they got progressively better. There were some stumbles across the way, but that team, 
in, in November, they learned how to win. Like right. that was the big thing. They learned how to win football games. And so I don't doubt Fuente's ability to get them there. I, if I'm just looking at it now, objectively, I don't see them winning. I see them winning between six and eight games. I, but I think to, that would not be, you know, that's my prediction at the beginning of the season. And obviously it's cheating because you can see how many games they win. But I expect that team to get better as the season goes on. It's just Fuente's just too good of a coach not to. Looking back, so you so you brought up that Cam Phillips, Isaiah Ford recruiting class. Here were here were the top here were the top names: Marshawn Williams, C.J. Revis, Cam Phillips, Holland Fisher, Ricky Walker, Shai McKenzie, Melvin Kine, Raymond Raymond Minor. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not great. Now so, some have panned out, but some of the bigger names in there have not, due to things or injury or what have you, but. I mean, Tech basically got lucky that this next layer of of guys, Isaiah Ford, Vinny Mahota, Terrell Edmonds, Trayvon McMillan, um, Eric Gallo, and Greg Stroman, and Steve Sobchak, all three or two stars panned out, because if not, this would be, I mean, we'd be talking about borderline disaster. Yeah, they got very lucky with Greg Stroman, the Edmonds brothers. Yeah. Um, Vinny Mahota was another guy they got really, yeah. who was kind of an underrated, under, under, uh, rated, I think, by the services because he committed so darn early to Tech. And, you know, like I said, I mean, they basically signed a half of a recruiting class. Like, they they had, the way they've hit on it, they've hit on some really good players who are all ACC caliber players, and then they hit on some players who don't deserve, you know, who are not good enough to play. Who, who, aren't, who aren't there anymore, you know? Yeah, some of them some of them are still on the roster. Right. And maybe they'll, maybe they'll have a, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, breakthrough in their junior or senior years but some of the some of them haven't played at all and they haven't transferred yet they're just they haven't played and they haven't transferred and so i i think you'll see less of that with uh fuente i think fuente is just going to be a little bit better in terms of one recruiting and closing the deal on top end recruits and i think you're starting to see some of that already and two i think he's just going to be a better uh find better talent for his system i think he's i think he's confident in his ability to coach up players and so, like, this cycle, you've seen just a ton of uh, tweeners on offense yeah. where it's uh, he likes – it seems like thus far he likes recruiting quarterbacks to play other positions because right, they're athletic. Right. And either they're going to go to corner or they're going to go to receiver. And he likes recruiting these hybrid guys like, you know, Keen, um, uh, Lissita uh, Smith could be tight end, maybe grow into a tackle depending on what he does. Um you know, Pimpleton is going to be, you know, just some sort of interesting, you know, he might have his own position on offense, right? you know, just like this, this guy who can make moves on offense. But um, yeah, I think, I, I, uh, I think the recruiting has already started to improve a little bit. It hasn't improved to the point where, you know, top 10, top 10 class, but the quality of players they're offering and are getting to commit and hopefully sign in February is, is, is definitely on the upswing. All right, so we, we push this we push this thing a little long. We'll be we'll be back um, probably at least around signing day to to talk about anything there, and if anything else breaks, we'll uh, we'll be we'll be there to cover it. So uh, Joe, until next time, man. All right, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening.